between us than the differences. Bonesology. Proposing new perspectives to help guide you through the most dangerous place on the planet that's six inches between your ears. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of Wanzology. I am your host, The Wands. And uh, this is a new experience for me, so uh, be gentle. Okay, fine. What is this about? Well, it has been said that I have a very unique story, and that has affected how I see life. So I thought I'd kind of put it out there to the universe and the potoverse and see who, like, can gravitate to some of these little ditties and stories that have made up my existence. If you didn't know who I was, I was the guy who sang... I'm going to pop some tags, only got $20 in my pocket. You know, that Macklemore joint from like 10 years ago? A while ago, yeah, 2012. Yeah, I'm Wands. And uh, I, I became self-aware at like six years old. My dad was in the Army. We were stationed at Fort Richardson, Alaska. Yes, the cold, frozen tundra. Mm-hmm. Lived across the street from Ursa Minor Elementary School. And while I was there, I remember my very first memory, by the way. These kids were asking me, hey, you know how to sing? And they'd mention a song. And I'd sing it as I was putting on my coat, getting ready to go home. Another kid would say, hey, what about this song? I'd say, I'd sing that song. And another one. And then a couple of other kids joined us. All of a sudden, there's like five of us. Eight of us were outside, and it's October, and there's big flakes coming down from the sky. And yeah, every time a kid would mention a song, I'd start singing it, right? So now there's like about 10 kids, and I hear from behind me my name. Some woman is calling my name. It's my mother, who looked out the window. Like I said, we lived across the street from the school. She freaked out, ran across the street in her June Cleaver red and white checkered apron with the fuzzy slippers and, yeah, that. And she comes huffing and puffing up to me, standing in this group of kids, and she says, Michael, Michael, are you all right? And I look up and I say, yeah, Mom, I'm just singing. And that's the very first thing I remember. Now, since that day... Singing has been with me like the nose on my face. There hasn't been a day that has gone by without me singing. And I was always told, you're really, really good, man. You're going to be famous. And I believed him. Moved to Lakewood, Washington in 1968. And same thing, elementary school, junior high school, high school, all the same. Dude, you're really, really good. You're really cool, man. You're going to be famous someday. And I believed him. 
I went off to college in little old Ellensburg, Washington, and stumbled upon one of the best jazz programs in the country. And taught myself how to play bass, got into playing in bands, started working at this bar that had bands from Seattle. And lo and behold, I moved to Seattle and started getting into the music business here. And that was really cool because, you know, I was, musicians in Seattle at that time, they were one big commune. They hung out together all the time, went to each other's practices, and then would go down to a, a, an area of town called Belltown and hang out at this one place called The Vogue. Thursday night was rock night. Why? Because all the rock bands in the area had practiced that night, and they all got done at about 9.30-ish and would show up. And, I mean, I used to hang out with Soundgarden and what was Mother Love Bone back then and Alice in Chains and countless others, right? The Seattle scene, you know them as grunge now, but, you know, they were just cats like me. So when they went off and, you know, got their deals and took off, I I still was like grinding and being dedicated and all that business. And, you know, 10 years goes by, 20 years goes by, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the music business and there is no one, and I do mean no one, out there who's in their 40s and is doing it, right? Unless they came from another band first. And, you know, about 2008, I kind of hit a wall. And I got discouraged and depressed and almost was going to give up until a Facebook friend told me, you know, we don't do it because we're going to be famous. We do it because we love it. And he was right. So at the end of 2008, I started collecting my own recording gear and in my little one-bedroom apartment, I I built a wall so that I could enclose a little space and I started trying to make music. And lo and behold, uh, the reputation kind of spread that I could sing and I, I, I ended up connecting with uh, a guy named Smoke who was part of an entourage called FTS, Full-Time Soldiers, North End's version of Wu-Tang. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I sang a joint with him and all the rest of the cats in the, in the clan, they heard me, and so all of a sudden I was singing for all these guys, right? And that lasted till about 2005 or so. And then things just kind of died out. I was playing bass and, and in a blue-eyed soul band, and I kind of figured, you know, that was going to be the end of my you're going to be famous thing. Sucked. But then, out of nowhere, I get a phone call one night, and this guy says, you down for a session? I'm always down for a session, man. And he, he takes me to this nondescript place, and all of a sudden I'm walking in and shaking hands with a guy named Ben Haggerty and, and Ryan Lewis, and they're working on a song about shopping in this thrift shop thing. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I was more butthurt at the fact that, you know, they, they were like in their mid-20s and didn't know who I was. I'd been in town for like years, a couple of decades. I thought I was bee's knees. I thought I was legend. No, 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 not so much. So, after the getting acquainted part, Ryan starts playing the track. And Ben is like, 
steno pad in hand, and he's showing me the words. And he's saying them in rhythm to the beat. And the first thing that popped out of my mouth was, I'm going to pop some tags. Only got $20 in my pocket. And everybody got really excited. Threw me in the booth. Stacked that baby up. Came back out. We got a bridge. I wear your granddad's clothes. I look incredible. Stacked it up. Came back out. Did a little sprinkles here. Little tags this and tags that. And boom, it was done. 45 minutes. About that. About 45 minutes. Cut me a check and I was leaving. And nobody thought anything of it. Not a thing. Not even when, you know, in July, when Ryan called me up and says, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're shooting a video for Thrift. You want to be in it? Okay. Sure. Oh, yeah. August 28th, 2012, the video premiere party, and I'm dressed up in this orange creamsicle suit thinking that it's all going to be just, you know, I didn't know what to think. All I know is that, you know, these guys were serious business. They knew what they were doing. Uh, compared to everybody else that I'd seen in Seattle trying to make their way. And uh, Macklemore comes up to me and, you know, shakes my hand, puts his arm around me. Man, you really, really knocked it out, man. It's, it's, it sounds great, looks great. I'm like, cool. And uh, he asked, do you have a Twitter account? And I was like, no. Well, you should get a Twitter account. You know, I mean, it's like the smile ran away from his face, and all of a sudden he's very, very serious. You should get a Twitter account. <laughs> so while they're showing the video, I'm, I'm messing with my BlackBerry, trying to get a, a, a Twitter account set up. And I wanted to be Wands. I wanted to be The Wands, but those names were taken. So I settled on T Wands because at the time I was raising kids, and those kids were in middle school, and... Or actually, they were in high school. I forget. Yeah, they were in high school. But anyway, they called me T. And so I was trying to make myself out to be T period wands. So that people would ask, what's the T for? And I could like be all suave and debonair and say, the T stands for the. <laughs> nope. Uh, that didn't last very long, so we moved on. Anyway, Macklemore comes back after the video's played for the first time. He looks at me and he goes, so did you get your Twitter account set up? I said, yeah, man, I already sent you a tweet. And okay, cool. And he walks off to go talk to somebody else. And a couple minutes later, I look at my BlackBerry and it's like, he replied to my tweet and tagged me and said, hey, everybody. You should follow at T Wands. He sings the hook on Thrift Shop. And there was like 300 freaking requests. He was following him. I'm following him. So and so is following. And I was freaking out because it was just like screen after screen. Okay. Okay. All right. Whatever this means, I don't really know. <laughs> well, the next day, August 29th, 2012. It's the premiere of Thrift Shop. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm at work as a software test engineer, and my office is on the 20th, 20th floor of a building that overlooked the, the south end of Seattle, uh, affectionately known as 
Georgetown. Sodo, Georgetown. And man, I tell you what, I must have spent 45 minutes just standing, then sitting, then standing, and then sitting at my desk, hitting refresh on YouTube, watching these numbers spin like a slot machine. Kid you not. They just kept going up and up and up and up. And finally, I said, you know what? I don't really know who this Macklemore guy is. So I thought I'd look at a couple of videos. And so I saw Other Side, dope. I could I could relate. And then uh, what was the other one? Oh, my, oh, my. God, I remember being at the baseball game and at a, at a Mariners game, and I watched him perform that song. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. And then uh, I looked at this song called uh, Victory Lap. And Victory Lap seemed to be a lot of travel from the year before, from like 2011, because there was a lot of, you know, traveling in a van and then being on stage at, at little places. And, you know, some had people in them and some didn't have anybody in them, but it was mostly, oh, we're on the road and we're having fun and it's great. You know. And then in the video, here's Macklemore standing on the front of a stage in our arena here, the big arena where the basketball team used to play. And behind him and everywhere around him are all these little lights from cell phones. It was during uh, the the end of summer festival called Bumbershoot, and it was sold out. So there's like 23,000 people in there, 22,000, something like that. It's a sold out thing. And he's just standing there and the crowd's just going nuts. I sat in my chair, I leaned back, and I, I, I just looked out of the window and I went, uh-oh, oh man, this is so not good. This is so not good. Meaning, this guy evidently was a thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's like I'm, every day that I'd come into work, it's like thrift shop would like triple in size. You know, they were all, it was like catching fire at like, Nothing I had ever seen. And I was telling my friends about it, and they're like, man, this is really cool. This is really cool. Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, the song's really cool. God, I can't believe it. It's really funny. And one of my friends says, like, so, are you going to go out on tour? And I just kind of froze and said, wait, what? (laughs) Huh? Huh? Tour? Okay. Well, I go to the the Macklemore.com website, and... There are all these dates, all these places, and it goes from October all the way to like May and June into into 2013. And every single venue, well, 98% of all the places there have a big yellow sticker on them that say, sold out. Sold out. London, sold out. Australia, one, two, three, four sold out. And I was like, okay, how much vacation time do I have? Eh, seven or eight days? Okay. Well, I can do these dates in the Northwest and finish up in Eugene, Oregon, and I'll just come home. Yeah, that was a nice plan. Sent a letter to their manager who said, sure, come, you can join us. And did a couple of days of rehearsal and then driving off to Portland for the first date that I was actually going to be a performing musician with a hot snot about to be crazed artist 
<laughs> I had really had no idea. I remember you know, when we got done shooting the video, I'm upstairs getting a burger with some of the other people who were in the shot, you know, in the in the production. And I'm talking to this guy and he, he's like, hey, man, I think you really did. You did good today. What do you think? And I go, well, I, I really hope it turns out to be like something really, really cool. And he leaned back and, and, and looked at me and he went, you, you really have no idea what's about to happen to you, do you? And I was like, well, no. Am I supposed to? <laughs> Great. So back to Portland. Crystal Ballroom has a spring-loaded floor. It's awesome. 1,100 people. It was crazy. I didn't fall down, and I didn't forget the words which were the two things that I was completely petrified that I would do. Cool, I can do this. Next night, Wamu Theater, which is the convention center that's attached to the football stadium. 7,500 people. <laughs> that's kind of spacious. And I'm in there for sound check on the stage, and it's like a cavern. I mean, it's huge. Well, look there. There's a, there's a video screen up there on the wall. It's really big. And on the other side of the stage, there's, a, there's another video screen, and it's really big. Oh, hey, what's this thing? There's a box on the floor that's got a little flame on it, and it's got this tape. What is this? Someone goes, stay away from that. That's the pyro. I am not going next to that box and get lit on fire. Man, I tell you what. There was so much electricity in that building. It was uh, 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 amazing. Let me say that again. It was uh, uh, amazing. It was so amazing, and I, I, I was just overwhelmed. After the show, one of my best friends from college, an ex-roommate, he was there, and I met him at the security barrier at the front of the stage. And this is the guy that, you know, we had been, we've literally been friends since like 1981, 82. And he was like, man, that was so great. You were really cool, man. It looked great. And I, and I just started crying. And he started crying. And then we hugged each other over the barricade and we're both crying. I mean, this guy, he'd been there when, uh, in the, when the first band that I was in, I took the bass player's spot because he didn't know how to play something. And I barely knew how to play bass. He was like one of my staunchest allies and biggest fans. And I'll never forget that moment. So moving on, we did two nights in Vancouver. And then we did another night in Spokane and then Boise and then Missoula. And at the end of the, at the, end of, of the Boise thing, it's like Macklemore corners me and he says, hey, you know, we really like what you're doing. You, we sh you should join the tour. And I really didn't know what that meant, really, because I'd never been on the road before. So, you know, I call up my boss and leave a message and say, you know, I, I'd like to get a couple more days of, of PTO because I've looked ahead on the schedule. And I, I was going to come back after Sunday's show in Eugene. Or actually, it was Saturday's show in Eugene. But the next night was in San Francisco at a place called The Fillmore. Now. Rewind, I'm nine years old. I have like a little components, you know, one, it has a stereo AM, FM radio and a turntable on top of it with the little plastic cover that's like smoke, 
smoke gray, totally cheesy. But I used to listen to AM radio, listening to Bill Graham Presents from the Fillmore in San Francisco. And they would broadcast live concerts of the Mamas and the Papas and um, Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and Big Brother and the Holding Company, Cream. The, oh, man, the list just went on and on and on. And these were like the pillars of rock and roll at the time. And I was going to be playing a show there? Could not pass that up. So instead, after the Eugene show, I stayed on the bus and went to San Francisco. And, you know, they have a poster on the inside for pretty much every act that's ever played there. I mean, I'm looking at the Macklemore and Ryan Lewis one right now, and had every, I had everybody on the tour sign it because it was just so magical. October 21st, 2012, Sunday night. Amazing. You know, we were getting ready for sound check, and I had already taken a tour of the joint and had lunch, and I was looking around at all the posters on the wall and thought about where I was, and, you know, the past 10 days had been like, nothing I'd ever experienced before. And for some reason, everything just kind of hit me all at once, and I broke down and started crying. I mean, I couldn't stop crying because for the first time in my life, performance things, I mean, this, this opportunity, I mean, I just got out of bed and went and sang for a guy, and it is turning into something that's real, like it's real, you know? Tens of thousands of views on a, on a song that's been out for two months? You're kidding me, right? They want me to join the tour. That means, like, traveling and whatnot. Man, I kid you not. It was one of the most magical, impressionable, fantabulous nights I, I, in my life at that time. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. Got to the hotel room and I, I was just on, I was all tingly. I couldn't believe it. So the next day, I asked to borrow the, 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 the tour van so I could go find a credit union and deposit my very first tour check. Dun, dun, dun. My phone rings as I'm lost somewhere near the Presidio. And it's my boss. Hey, Mike, you're not at work today. No, I'm not. And I told him where I was. Well, you said you were going to be back. Yeah, I know. Well, when are you coming back? And I said, you know, an opportunity like this for a guy my age is probably never, ever going to happen again. So I got to stay out here. And at 51 years old, I quit my day job, never having been on the road, not really having a safety net. And this job was like, I'd never made this much money with you know, stock options and health plan and all, this, all the bells and whistles that permanent full-time employees have that I'd never had. And with less than $250 to my name, I quit and went all the way down to the Ford Theater that was the end of that leg of the tour. 
Now, I say all that because I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't made that decision. Because it led to two and a half years of touring the world, been around the world twice, on that one song, and every time, it's like five minutes of the most joyous time ever for me. Every time. Never got sick of it. Never got old. And every, every time I performed it, it was different. But I only had one rule. Well, I had two rules. Don't fall down. Don't forget the words. Which is ironic, because when I'm filming the video, I forgot the words three or four times. So much so that Ben stuck his head out from behind the camera, looks at me, and he goes, you don't remember the words, do you? And I went, no, I'm used to, I'm used to rappers, like, paying me in cash because they're, they're usually criminals. And, you know, I sing what they want me to sing, and then I don't see them again. They give me money, I leave, I never see them again. This guy paid me in a check. I should have known better, right? So that was the start of two and a half years of every single dream that I've ever had, every single one of them coming true, every dream, everything, TV, sold-out concerts, autographs, pictures, unbelievable, unbelievable. Every single dream that I had ever had come true. And like I tell people, I have the statues to prove it. So here I sit, a decade and a, and a little and, and change, a decade and change later, I'm 62 years old. And I have a Grammy and a Diamond Award. And what this podcast is based on, for the most part, is our first time in Paris. Well, first of all, I would go out and talk to kids who were waiting in line for the show because they would line up at like, seven in the morning, stay there all day. Doors don't open until like six thirty, seven o'clock at night. And I would get in conversations with these kids. And in Paris, I'm talking to these kids and this girl looks at me and she goes, do you believe in unicorns? And I said, hmm, because in a split second, I thought I'm 51 years old, never been to Paris before. Thrift shop is number one in seven countries. This is a sold-out show, one of three sold-out shows. And I don't see anyone else in the music industry at the time who sounded like me, looked like me. And, I, you know, this all happened in a split second. I looked at her and I said, I guess I have to. I am one. Being a unicorn, I found, is a very, very, very cool thing. And in coming episodes, what I'm going to do is talk about how you can be your own unicorn and hopefully make your dreams come true. All right? So I'm going to say goodbye for this first inaugural episode of Wanzology. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. People have always said that, you know, you have a very unique way of looking at life. Well, they have no idea. And then I'm going to share it with you, and, you know, maybe it'll resonate with you and some of your friends, and 
maybe uh maybe maybe we can start our own community of wanzologists. Wanzology. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but I, I kind of like it. All right? Cool. Thanks for hanging out with me. And I will see ya. Wanzology. Hey, thanks for being here today. I want you to go to your social media and look for W-A-N-Z-ology. Wanzology. Wanzology. You can catch me and my music and my story on thewans.com. Bye. You just get lucky. Do something good for yourself, then go do it for somebody else. I'll see you.